Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here is our focus for this week. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, meaning in the Scriptures. Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him. He answered the devil. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So the devil, he's been in, Jesus has been in the wilderness and the devil takes him to the temple, takes him to the holy city, to Jerusalem and to the temple, puts him on the highest point. Why does he take him to the temple at this point? You know, there's, there's different reasons, different theories about why that is. One theory is that uh, because this is a place of prayer to God and, and he's wanting him to, you know, be seeking God for help. Um... Some think it's because that there will be massive crowds there and the devil was tempting Jesus to uh, do this before those massive crowds that all those people could see, although nothing is mentioned about crowds or about people being there, um, although, of course, there would be crowds in the temple. But obviously, if nothing else, it's the, it's the, largest, it's the largest building around anywhere for you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles. This is a massive building, and so it's high up in the air. Um, people debate about where Jesus was on the temple, and we don't know for sure. But even if he was at, uh, at the point where he could have jumped into the city, if he jumped into the city off, off the, the wall there at one, at one high point where he jumped into the street, it'd still be like 150 feet. You know, it would be a death drop. It would be not something that you could survive. Uh, some think that he was, he was on the other side, though, and he was facing the Kidron Valley, and the devil was tempting him to jump into the valley. Uh, which would have been even a, a much larger drop. But either drop would have been deadly, and we don't know uh, which one it is um, for sure. But uh, the temple, if not, no other reason, because it's in the holy city, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, and it's this great temple, and he's high upon the temple uh, in a dangerous place, a dangerous place to fall. Um, and so he wants him to jump down. But what the devil does here is um, he, he preaches the Bible to her. He opens up his Bible to Psalm 91, and he preaches Psalm 91 to Jesus, saying, Jesus, listen to the Word of God. You just said that you live, by the, you live by the Word of God, that you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me read to you words from the mouth of God. Let me, let me quote to you words from the mouth of God, Jesus. Let me give you a little mini-sermon here and then give you the application of that word to instruct you in, in what you should do. Let me, preach the, let me preach the Psalm to you, Psalm 91. And it says, uh, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's saying to him, this is a promise in the Scriptures. This is a, a word that we find in the Scriptures. And if you're the Son of God, it must apply to you, right? So that means if you happen to, to jump off this, this must mean that angels would appear and angels would rescue you and you would not be hurt. So do it. Jump off. Show us that you're the Son of God. Show me that you're the Son of God. Demonstrate that you're the Son of God. Uh, make it clear. Why, is this, why would this be a temptation to Jesus at all? What would this speak to? It made sense why he, would want to, um, why he would want to have the stones turned into bread last week, why he would want to eat. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Why would this be a temptation? Once again, uh, you know, there's some debate about this, but uh, one reason could be that you know, angels in the Bible often came to help people in their time of great distress, not only the fall, but Jesus was already bodily in great distress, and the angels could come and help him and, and, and help him in the great bad health that he was in at this point, the hunger and the starvation that he was facing. Um, so not only would he be rescued, but he would be helped by angels. Um, some think that maybe he, it was playing to his vanity, that uh, hoping that Jesus would want to impress Jerusalem. Jesus would dive off and it would impress Jerusalem. But once again, crowds aren't mentioned. That's not mentioned here, so it's hard to, hard to know for sure if that's really part of this. But maybe, maybe it was part of it, that to dive off of there would be to impress uh, everybody. Everyone would say, look, this must be the Son of God, this or this must be someone important, that the angels would come and rescue him when he jumped off of, uh, off of the temple. Um, but maybe he's just simply saying, yeah, you just went through, you just had the baptism and it was a time of spiritual assurance, but now you've had 40 days of darkness, 40 days of bleak time where you haven't heard from God, where you haven't known uh, what God was up to, where you've been starving in the desert and, you, and, and you've been through this very, very rough time, this very, very difficult time, and you need uh, to be confirmed again. You need assurance. You need to see some sign of God. You need to see a sign that God is with you. You need to see once again that you are the Son of God, that God is backing you up, that he, His angels are with you. His angels will care for you. So don't you want to see that? Don't you want to show that to me? Don't you want to show that to yourself? Don't you want to receive that assurance? Putting that seed of doubt in his mind that perhaps that's, that, that's not the case, perhaps that, uh, that God isn't with him, that he needs to feel this, he needs to feel this assurance. So all these things are, are part of this. We're not told all what's going on inside, but this is, these are the things that they're wrestling with. But then we get Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him. Jesus quotes the Scriptures himself. He again quotes from Deuteronomy, as he did last week, as he did with the first temptation, and as he will again with the third temptation. Jesus answered him, it is also written, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 6.16. Like Ashley said this morning, though, Deuteronomy 6.16 is written referring back to Exodus 17 and what happened in Exodus 17. Um, and we saw that uh, in the, in the, in the, that was read this morning for us. Um, so let me turn back there to Exodus 17 for a minute. You can find it in your bulletin. I don't have the bulletin here with me, but I'll turn in my Bible. To Exodus 17, you just heard this account, so it's fresh in your mind. 
But Jesus is referring to this time when, what was wrong with the Israelites? The Israelites were in the wilderness and they didn't have water to drink and they were, uh, why, why, does he, why does he say, that, that, why is this referred to as testing God? Because they were, they were pretty much demanding that God do something for them, that God give them water in a miraculous way, that God somehow, they didn't have water where they were, that God somehow miraculously provide water. They were demanding that. That's what they, that's what they wanted. Um, now, in verse 2, it says that uh, they quarreled with Moses, and they said, give us water to drink. See, they focused their quarrel, they focused their complaint on Moses, but what Moses reveals is, but your quarrel is really with God here, because what you, the person who you're testing, the person that you're quarreling with, the person that you're grumbling against is God himself, because it's God who you are demanding. You're, you're, you're coming to me and telling, and telling me, but obviously behind me is God, and it's God who's brought you here, not me. It's God who takes care of your needs, not me. It's God who, would, who could give you water. It's not Moses that could give you water. It's God who could give you water. So your complaint, your problem is really with God. Um, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put Yahweh to the test? Why do, and this, this idea of testing God is saying to God, God, this is what you must do. This is what you must do uh, to show me, to demonstrate that you're with me. I need this from you. I want you to do this. I, and with a great intensity, demanding this, and we maybe wouldn't voice it. We maybe wouldn't even recognize where our heart was, but there's this intensity of God. And in fact, they're maybe even deceiving themselves that they really, they're focusing their anger at Moses. Maybe they even don't realize that they're, that they're angry with God but they're angry with God. They're quarreling with God. They're frustrated with God. God is not giving them what they, uh, what they think that they need. He's not doing the miracle, giving them the water um, that they need. So Israel's quarreling with God. Uh, God must do this. He must do this. He must show us that he's with us. He must show us that we're okay, that, that he is, uh, that, that, we're, uh, that we're not abandoned, that he's taking care of us. Um, and and, and what's, the, what, what is, what's the proof? Prove this to us or what? What are they, what are they saying? If God doesn't do this, what are they going to do? Are they going to stop obeying? Are they going to stop following him? Is there, has their heart already withdrawn from God somewhat because God's not doing what they want to do? Is their heart already turning away from him? Yes, because they're quarreling with him. So they only want to follow God on their terms. God, this is what you must do. I want to ask you this morning, um, oh, and, and by the way, at, at the end, the way, it, at the end of that section, it says, and he called the place Masa, which means testing, they tested God, and Meribah, quarreling, means, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's what it came down to. Is God with us or not? So it's interesting that this is the account from the Old Testament that Jesus focuses in on. He sees what the question is. The devil's saying, is the Lord with you or not? And he's trying to get Jesus to say, is the Lord with me or not? Is God with me? Am I the Son of God? Is the Father really supporting me? Is the Father really backing me up? I need proof. I need this. This is what I need. The devil put this into a mind. You need the angels. You need angels to show you this. Let angels come, and that will show you that God is with you. Ah, that was, that was 40 days ago when you heard that voice. 
That was 40 days ago, and look what's happened since, disaster since. Forget about that 40 days ago. You need this today. Today you need the angels. Today you need angels to come and to show up, to show you that God is with you. And so the temptation is for Jesus to do what Israel did in the wilderness, to quarrel with God. And so that's why Jesus draws on that story and says, I'm not going to do what Israel did, devil. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to test my God. I'm not going to quarrel with my God. I'm not going to demand that God do this. I'm not going to say, God, prove yourself to me. To test God means, God, prove yourself. Prove yourself to me. If you do this, I'll know. If you do this, I'll know. Show me. I got to have this. This is what I got to have to know that things are okay, to know that you're, you're with me. So let's pause here and think about this to reflect on our own life. Let each of you now look at your own life and think about this for a minute. Is there something in your life, something in your life that God has not done, that you have sought from him very intensely? You probably never would have said, I demanded it from him. You probably would never have said, I told God to prove himself to me. Although some of you may have. You may have said, God, just show me that you're with me by doing this. But maybe you didn't put it in that strong of terms. But still, the intensity with which you sought it, the intensity and, the, and how much weight you put in this, this must be answered. Lord, please do this. But it wasn't just, Lord, you know, your will be done. Uh, Lord, I, this is what I need. This is what I want. But your will be done. It was, Lord, this this is so important. This has got to happen. I've got to see this. I've got to, I, I need you. This is not something I can do. It's something only that you can do. Lord, will you do this? And the intensity with which you, and the, and the importance that you put on it being answered, your faith was in the balance. Your faith was in the balance, whether this was answered or not. Your faith was in the balance. If it wasn't answered, the, more, the longer that it was not answered in the way that you wanted it to be answered, the weaker your faith got the weaker your trust in God got, the weaker your, maybe your obedience began to break down because you no longer trusted this God. And so you began to look elsewhere and you began to wander in your heart and in your mind. Is there something that God has not done that you have asked for? And I'm not talking about something bad or something trivial. I'm talking about something good. I'm talking about something even biblical where you could point to a text and say, look what the Bible says here. God did this for his people. God, do this for me. It's biblical, God. I'm quoting my Bible to you, just like the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus. I'm quoting your Bible, I'm sorry, to you, Lord. It's here in the Bible. Show, give me this. Give me this. I want what you, have, what you did here. I want it. It's something good. Show it to me. God, you must do this. Show me you are here. Show me with you're, that you're with. Where is, and so, and so another way to go deeper with this and to think about this in your life, and this, this, this sermon won't help you much unless you're willing to do this digging, unless you're willing to look at yourself. If you're thinking about somebody else right now, um, you are missing the point. This word is for you. <laughs> think about yourself. Quit thinking about the other person and their problem. Think about yourself. Where is your frustration? Where is your irritation? Where is your discontent? Where is the grumbling in your life where it's something that you're saying? You may be saying, no, I'm, I'm really grumbling against him. It's him. It's him. But is it really just him? Is it really that God's not doing something? It's this situation. It's just, this, it's just such a mess. It's just this whole situation. It's just, but is it God that's not fixing the situation? 
Is your grumbling really at God there? Is this really your Masa? Is this really your Meribah? Are you really, is there deep in your heart maybe that you're not shedding light on, but maybe this text has helped me to shed some light on in my own life, and maybe it would help you to shed some light into dark places in your life where there's a quarrel with God in your heart. There's a discontent, there's a grumbling with your heart in God, and there's a God, prove yourself to me. This is what I need to have it proved. This is what I need to know that you're good, to know that you're with me, whatever it is that, you're, that you need from God's, to have God's proof. You may be focused, as I said, on the person, but are you in reality upset with God? Is this, is this irritation, this frustration with God? And what, what's happening probably in this, in this process as you're going through it, you could be responding it into a good, in a good way and, and, and dealing with it, but probably for many of us, what's happening is we're experiencing our joy shrinking, we're experiencing our faith shrinking, we're experiencing, remember, faith is something that can grow, increase or decrease. And so we're experiencing our faith decreasing. We're experiencing our trust decreasing. We're experiencing our our joy decreasing. We're experiencing our obedience as well decreasing in God because in our heart, our our relationship with God is marred by this because our own mind and heart does not trust him, does does not really see in him uh, what we need. Do not, do not believe him fully. I'll give you a personal example of this, and I want to give this personal example because it's something that Lord's helped me with, and it's not the only thing in my life like this, but I'm going to pull out one thing and bring it up. And I bring this up even though I sort of realize that it's not something that most of you probably can relate to, because it's probably, when I say it, you're probably going to think, well, that's, well, that's dumb, and it'll be obviously dumb to you. But let me tell you, it wasn't obviously dumb to me. To you, it may look dumb because you're not, and I'll tell you, it's because it has to do with me being a pastor. If there's a pastor visiting today, the pastor will be sitting there going, oh yeah, I I get it. I get exactly, but those of not pastors may not get this. So I believed pretty strongly that if I studied the word hard, preached correct sermons, and prayed hard, which I did, studied the Word hard, preached sermons that were sound and, 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 and the Word of God, and prayed hard that this church would grow and grow and continue to grow year after year, grow and grow and grow and grow. Instead, especially in recent years with COVID and all this stuff that's been going on, people just kept quitting and giving up and leaving. Morning attendance got lower and lower and lower and lower. Sunday school attendance got very, very low. The evening worship was really big for one week, and then 30 people after that. So pretty pretty darn small. More and more people, especially during this COVID years, got upset with me or with the church or with the session, upset about this, upset about the other thing. I'm not saying any of this stuff to complain about it. I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this stuff to say, you, all that stuff to you may sound like, hey, it's not that big a deal. But for me, it was, where is God? What, what, is, what is he doing? And it was bothering me. It was challenging me at the, at the deepest. And, I re, and, I, and I've come to realize how much weight I was putting on that. This is what had to happen. And if it didn't happen, I was 
distraught. I was frustrated. I was irritated. It was challenging. It was a challenging my, my worth. It was, a cha- it was challenging everything. It was just, you know, it was, and so it was really, really bugging me. Now, I focused the, the frustration on the situation, COVID, uh, individual people sometimes, unfortunately, or my failure to do this or that or the other thing. I, I focused those, those frustrations in different places, but the Lord's been showing me, you've been mad at me. You've been just plain ticked off at me. You've just been, you've been quarreling with me. You've been frustrated and irritated with me. God was not doing what I wanted. Now, there's something in your life for many of you, maybe not all of you, but many of you, there's probably something like this. Christians tell me their stories. Some stories that I've heard recently, maybe um, uh, very different from mine, but, but, but still uh, important stories for people. They tell me their stories. Uh, one person told me about how he just uh, read the Bible and saw the power of God in the Bible, but felt in his own life that there was no power of God. And he asked God for his power, but he never really felt like he was experiencing any power. Someone else told me that um, they, uh, they, uh, they saw all the healings in the Bible. They believed if, if, we, if we came to God with honest prayer and with faith that, you know, he's going to heal. He's going to heal uh, certain situations. And, and they prayed for that, and it did not happen. God did not heal. Another person told me that he uh, had a certain sin in his life that was beating him up, certain sin that kept, and it was just always there knocking on his door, always there bugging him, and he wanted God to give him a victory over this sin. In other words, just come into his life and annihilate that, that sin uh, so that it was not there anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't bothering him anymore, so he could just be free of it, move on with his life, and be completely free. God does do these things. All these things I just mentioned, God does them before, but this person asked, he sought it, he didn't get that. He didn't get some dramatic release, complete victory over this desire. The desire's gone. It's poof, it's completely gone. Another person told me that they had really, really wanted uh, to, be, to speak in tongues. They had really wanted to speak in tongues, and by tongues, they didn't mean a different language, but they meant um, something else, some kind of angelic tongue or something. I don't exactly understand. But they thought that they could, they could speak in tongues if they sought God with real faith and with prayer. They thought that God would give them extraordinary spiritual gifts like tongues, other ones as well. They prayed for it, did not come, sought it, really thought. They had gotten really excited about the book of Acts, really excited about 1 Corinthians, really excited about these books in the Bible, really stirred up about it and just devoted their life to, yes, this is going to turn me around. If I speak in tongues and if these extraordinary gifts fall on me, and I know they can happen because they happen in the Bible and they've happened to other Christians I know, and they sought it and they sought it and it did not come. Did not come. Another person, my last example recently told me, that they thought that if they got their life together, believed in Jesus, followed him, taught their, child, taught their children, their family the word of God, and did the right things that they were supposed to do, their family would thrive. The children, the parents, they would all thrive. They would be spiritually healthy. 
They would be flourishing. They would be not rich, but flourishing, you know, doing well, having a good life, having a life that goes, that goes well. It wasn't that they had unrealistic things like they wouldn't get sick or something. They just thought things would go, but instead there's so much mess in the, their family, so much mess in this family. And this, this person just doesn't understand how could this be my family when I've put my faith in God, I've called on God for help, and this is the family I got? This is the mess we've got? This is what our kid's doing? This is what our marriage looks like? This is the, these are the problems that we got. Now, maybe some of this now is beginning to resonate with you, and maybe, once again, your thing may be something completely different. But where are you calling on the angels? Where are you demanding that the angels come? Remember, Jesus didn't demand that the angels come. He did not test God. He did not jump off. So God can send angels whenever he wants to send angels, but I'm not demanding that God send angels. It's not that we don't pray for things. Don't hear, my, don't hear my sermon as saying we're not supposed to pray for things. It's just that there's a certain kind of prayer where we can be saying this has to happen. This is what God must do. This is what God must do. And I've prayed those kinds of prayers, and they've been such religious prayers, such biblical prayers in the sense of things that were important in the Bible. I was praying about important things from the Bible, and I put such intensity into it. And when I did not see the answer, it just really dragged me down week after week after week, month after month after month. I'm just not seeing. Why is that not happening? Why is this not happening? Oh, I just need to fix this, and I need to fix this. And then God will do it. Then God will do it. I knew. I had my doctrine right. I knew it was up to God. I knew it was God who had to do it. And so over time, it became God who was the problem, right? Because God's not doing what I'm asking him to do. I hope you are seeing this now in your life. I hope if it's there, I hope you're seeing it. Um, I hope you're seeing where this, this kind of struggle, uh, this difficulty is in your heart. And what happens is over time, as you, do, as you struggle with this, your heart, our heart begins to turn away. Um, though we may not realize our hearts turning away from God, um, we may say things like, it just feels like uh, things have changed in my, in my devotional life. Or th- or, but it's, it, as, our, as we have this attitude towards God and this disappointment with God that we don't deal with and shine a light on and, re- and recognize and make peace with, make peace with what God is doing, your will be done. Um, it can grow this this really deep discontent, this really deep frustration with God himself. So back to verse 7 again. Jesus answered him, it is also written. I want to say one other thing and then give you four quick applications. Jesus said, it is also written. So that means the devil quotes a verse or verses. Then Jesus says, yes, yes, that is the Bible. You just did quote the Bible. But the Bible also says this. The Bible also says this. And that is a very, that reveals to you and to me a very important principle when dealing with the Bible. There are all sorts of verses that you can pull out of the Bible and you can read them and then you can make application from that, ver- from that verse. You can say, I'm going to, I think it means this, 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 and this. And this is what I'm going to do with that verse. But if you don't know the rest of the Bible, if you don't know the rest of the Bible and what the rest of the Bible is teaching, on this same topic or what else is being said in the scriptures, you can go very, very wrong with one verse or, or focusing in on one passage if you don't know the rest of it. People all the time take one passage, and all the time people sit there and they listen to a preacher preach, and the preacher preaches a passage. It seems like, yeah, that came from the text. 
he applied it. But the problem is the people in the pews don't know because they don't know their Bibles. They don't know that there are half a dozen verses that show why this sermon is bunk. There are half a dozen verses other places that show that this is not true, though, what he's saying. He's applying it wrongly. So each verse in the Bible, this is one of our fundamental principles for dealing with the Bible, and it's revealed here in this, pa- in this passage. We can see it very clearly. Every verse in the Bible must be interpreted in light of the whole Bible. This is why they send pastors off to seminary, because the pastors are supposed to learn, not every verse in the Bible, but learn what the teaching is in all the different parts of the Bible so that when they're interpreting one little passage, they don't throw you off by getting it out of line with all the rest of what the Bible says. You have to read this part in light of all the rest of this, in light of all the other things that are said uh, that relate to this on this same topic and other places. Um, each verse must be interpreted, and that's why, you, that's why learning the Bible is so important. We're going to talk about that in a second. But, but, you know, this is the devil preaching from the Bible, and so remember, when you're listening to, to people teach and preach, um, if it sounds a little fishy to you, take pause. Think about this. Compare it with other scriptures. Remember the Bereans who searched the scriptures. They searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. Search the scriptures to understand whether what, what's being said. Is this really, it's, I see what it's saying here and how he's applying it, but is this really what the scriptures are saying everywhere else, or is this a misapplication of this particular verse? There are many liars who preach the Bible. And they're liars. The devil preached the Bible. Liars are preaching the Bible all the time. There are many fools who preach the Bible. What I mean by fool is they're ignorant of the word and they're morally fools. They don't understand what is really good. And even so, if you're, if you're morally a fool and uh, biblically a fool, to preach the Bible, you're going you're gonna to say ridiculously stupid things. You can open your Bible and, and preach from some verse, and it seems like it's coming right out of the verse. But it's, but, it's in, but it's out of accord with what the Bible's saying in so many other places. So it's so wrong. It's completely misleading you. But another thing is true as well. There are many, many good people, people who are trying to do the right thing, trying to understand their Bible. They're not fools. They're not evil. They're not, they're not deceivers. They're not devils or liars. They're good people. They have their Bibles open. They're trying to understand them, but they don't compare it with other scriptures. They don't understand what other parts of the scriptures, how they speak to this, and so they get really far off track with this one particular text that's taking them, them, taking them far, off, uh, far off track, and they get a very bad application from the Word. This is the Word of God, but they get a very bad application from that Word of God. So I want to give you four things, four suggestions, four, uh, four applications, okay? The first one is this. Learn the scriptures. Learn the scriptures. You may, you may have this thing in the back of your mind where uh, uh, theology is, is not really necessary or, or learning, learning, learning the Bible in depth or something is not really necessary. The basic things that I need are, 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 right, there on the pay, are right there, obvious. I already know them. I don't need to go deeper. Yeah, you do. Because people who don't go deeper, they get deceived more and more and more and more and more. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. With people who are genuine, sincere believers, and they are just completely deceived because they don't really know the word well enough to not be deceived. 
Learn the Bible. Make it your commitment. I don't care what your age is, how young you are or how old you are. Make it your commitment to learn the Bible more, to keep growing and to keep learning. Do you understand that when you study the Bible, that's one way you love God? (laughs) One way that you love God is God gave you his word and you read it and try to understand it. That's a way to love God. When you're studying the Bible, trying to understand it, talking to other people, getting their, getting their counsel, uh, uh, g- getting help from pastors, getting help from elders, getting help from, from teachers, that's, that's loving God. Trying to understand the Bible is a way to love God. It's, it's one way that we love God. If God gave it, and in fact, one way to not love God or to refuse to love God is to not learn the Bible. <laughs> if you just don't read it, don't learn it, don't try to understand it, that's turning your back on God. He wants you, he gave you this word because he wants you to read it. Now, he didn't leave you on your own, though. Don't feel like this is all up to you. God did not just give us the Bible, did he? He gave us the church and pastors, too, right? So we're supposed to lean heavily on the church, lean heavily on the teachers in the church, lean heavily on the elders and pastors in the church. He does not just say, here's your Bible, take it home, see what you can make of it. No, he, we are supposed to do that, but he also gives us pastors and helpers. Um, everyone needs help to understand the Bible. I needed tons of help to understand the Bible. I still need tons of help. I read dead pastors every single day of my life. I read the Bible and dead pastors. Some of them are alive, but, the, but, but most of them are dead that I read. Um, I read dead pastors every day and, and living pastors every day, and I read we all need pastors. Pastors need pastors. Um, we, we're all, um, every sermon that I preach is a piecework. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a quilt um, you know, with all the little pieces of fabric, and it came from like 50 different places. I don't sit up here and go, footnote one, footnote two, footnote three, but just assume it's all plagiarized. I never understand when they say, pastors, don't plagiarize your sermons. It's all plagiarized. I mean, you think I have original thinking? I don't have original thinking. I get all this from other pastors. 50 different pastors wrote this sermon. Um, so, uh, you need pastors. We need help to learn the Bible. We need to learn God's Word. Uh, find out. You need to find out if you're believing lies. You need to find out if you're believing any lies, if you're believing things that uh, you thought the Bible said but it didn't really say, unpromises that aren't really true, applications that really stink. They're just not good applications of God's Word. You need to discover that. So make it your, make it your, uh, make it your journey as a Christian now to learn the Bible, learn God's Word. This is so important. You are in school. On Pentecost Sunday, uh, we're going to study this tonight uh, in the Acts series. On Pentecost Sunday, Jesus opened up a school in Jerusalem, and the school was called the church, and the apostles were the teachers, and they taught the people the Word of God. They taught the people, and this was, and what does it say? It says the people, all of them, all 3,108, because there were 12 apostles, 3,108, all of them were devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted constantly learning the Bible, the, the apostles' teaching. This is what they were devoted to. This is what, you're in school. We don't take attendance. We don't give tests. And that means a lot of people don't attend and don't study, right? That's what happens, you know, college professors learn this. Um, if you don't require it, it doesn't happen. So, uh, but you're in school. You're learning, Keep learning the word. You really, really need to learn the word, or you can be deceived. Jesus wasn't deceived for a second. He was like, devil, don't quote the Bible at me, you idiot. That's totally bogus, what you're saying right now. It's it's foolishness. The Scriptures also say, the Scriptures also say, this is the word of God. 
and your application of the Word of God is completely false and wrong. The second thing I want to say, learn the Scriptures. The second thing is believe the Scriptures. What do I mean by that? Don't demand signs from God. Don't demand that God do this or do that to show you. Don't demand proof that God is with you. Believe his word. What does his word say? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You are forgiven of your sins. You, are, you belong to him. He, believe what the word says about Jesus. Believe what the Word of God says about Jesus. Study the Word, learn the Word, and believe the Word. You don't need angels. You have the Bible. You don't need a miracle. A miracle may happen. God may do a miracle. But you don't need a miracle to believe this. You have His Word. You don't need uh, uh, whatever the things that you you think that you need in order to know that God is with you. Believe his word. Believe the word that God has given you. What has he told you? He says that if you are with, that if you have faith in Jesus, you belong to God. God loves you. God is caring for you. He will be with you at your death. When you die, God will be there to meet you. And when the Lord Jesus returns, he will make all things new. That's what the Bible says. Believe it. Believe the word. Learn the word and believe the word. Believe it. Don't say, I got to have this or I got to have that. Believe what God tells you is true. Believe what his promises are. Believe what his word tells you is true. What has already happened, believe what he's telling you all right. right. When he says that you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, don't say, but I don't speak in tongues. If I would speak in tongues, then I would know I was indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Believe his word. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins. You say, I can't see that forgiveness. No, you can't see it. Believe his word. It says you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Say, I don't don't feel indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Believe his word. Believe his word. Believe what his word says. Trust in him. Trust God and trust his word. Trust him that he is doing good to you and what he is saying to you is the truth. Believe his word. Now, you may need help to understand that word in order to believe it correctly. And so get that help. That's what we first said. Learn the word, learn the scriptures, and believe the scriptures. Remember Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, it hasn't arrived yet, and assurance about what we do not see. So So what is faith responding to? The word, the word of God. And what the word tells us about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and salvation, and the second coming. This is, and and forgiveness of sins, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and all of these things. Believe. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. It hasn't come yet. And assurance about what we do not see. These people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised in their lifetimes. All these Old Testament saints, he says, they had faith. Did they get it in their lifetime, everything that they believed in? No. They believed what they didn't have yet. They believed what they could not see because it was, they believed God. They trusted God. They trusted his word. They poured over his word, and they believed what they were hearing. And so Psalm 51, when we pray, we prayed this this morning, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Um, don't say, God, you've got to give me this and you've got to do this, but instead, 
Lord, remind me of the basic truth of your salvation, these, these fundamental truths about what Christ has done, and restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me back a joy in this, finding life and joy and happiness in this. Thirdly, I said learn the Scriptures, believe the Scriptures. Thirdly, worship the God revealed in the Scriptures. Worship the God revealed in the Scriptures. There is joy in worshiping God and knowing the God of the Scriptures. The more you get to know him, and where are you going to get to know him? The Scriptures. That's where he's revealed. So the where you get to know God is in your Scriptures, is in the Scriptures, either you in your Bible or listening to the Scriptures explained and preached and taught. Worship the God revealed in the Scriptures. You will find life in that, joy in that. You will find encouragement. I, you know, for me, it had to be this week, I had to say, Lord, I have to be happy. No matter what the numbers are in the pew or no matter what the response is to a certain sermon or no matter what happens here or happens here with details of the church, I have to be happy just that you are my God and you are glorious and, I'm, and I know you and I'm getting to know you more and I worship you and rejoice in you. Rejoice in you and delight in you. There's where my life is. It's not in this. It's not in that. And so those things can't tear me down or bring me down because my life is coming from that. And fourthly, obey the Scriptures. I don't know if we all believe this, but, but make sure you hear this. The good life, the good life, the life that will fulfill you, the life that will, that will give you what, what, what human beings need. And, of course, there's still so much problem and evil and sin in this life, and there will always be suffering until Jesus returns or until we die and, and go to be with, with him. Um, but nevertheless, recognize this, that the good life is just an ordinary, plain, simple, quiet obedience. Learning God's Word, believing God's Word, worshiping the God of the Scriptures, and just plain obeying Him. Just keeping it, persevering and obeying Him. Do what no one knows but God. No one knows. But take delight in the fact that I did what God wanted me to do. God told me this. I love him, and I do this because I love him. Do it out of love for God, not because anybody sees, anybody knows, anybody cares, anybody's impressed, anybody rates that as success, anybody rates that as impressive, or because it's not impressive to you. You feel like you need tongues. You feel like you need miracles. You feel like you need some dramatic victory. You feel like you need this, that, or the other thing. Whatever it is you feel like you need. What you need is just God's help, the simple help of the Holy Spirit to obey in a very quiet and simple way. Just go about your life and in the ordinary things of life. It doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner with a placard and scream at the people going by, repent or burn. No, it means in your ordinary life, in your ordinary life, go about your obedience, obeying what God, what his, you have to know the word to do this. If you don't know the word, you're not going to be able to. So you've got to keep learning and obey the Lord in the ordinary, everyday life, in those ordinary situations and circumstances you're in every day. No audience but God, right? This is for God. I don't care if my spouse notices or even my children notice. I don't care if the church notices, this person notices that. It's not for them. This is for God. I do this for God. I do this because this is what God has called me to, to be faithful and to leave, uh, to leave what is God's, what is only God can control in his hands, to leave that in his hands, to leave him, 
to do that. We pray for things, but without this level of demand. Remember Jesus' prayer in the garden. Take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. And obey. There's joy in obeying God. All of these things, of course, are done by the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't learn the Bible on your own. You can't believe the Bible on your own. You can't worship God on your own. You can't uh, obey God on your own. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray now. Ask for his help to do these things. Ask for his help to help us with this. Um, and uh, and, and let's, 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 let's live the life that he's given us, the very ordinary, simple life that he's given us of relying on his word, trusting his word, and obeying him.